good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. A little bit of story time with Buster. Still kind of got my head cold going on. You'll just have to bear with me. I want to continue on our journey. I'm not sure what's going to happen next weekend. Um, I'll be traveling to an event next weekend, be speaking at a veterans event uh, in Tennessee. So, man, my next, uh, from, from Thursday through Tuesday, um, I may be a bit scattered with how I am able to put things on. Um, I'll be recording everything that I do there. Hopefully I can have some time and I'll get to do some daily podcast things. May not get to do the reading portion uh, like we're doing right now on Saturday. Uh, I'll just have to see how that goes. Um, you just have to bear with me and give me some grace, if you will. But with that today, I want to get this uh, get this one accomplished um, man, I'm, I'm excited about how this book is going. I hope you're gaining something from it. It really does have many things that we can pull from, uh, many, many things that it speaks to in our lives, in our spiritual walk. So hopefully you're gaining from that. This is, um, it'll be another excerpt from Rick Joyner's book, The Valley. And uh, it's, this particular chapter is called The Council. The leaders gathered in a small circle, a few pieces away from some others gathered to observe. Adam sat close by as well, intent on learning more about our ways. I began with a short overview of the events that we had experienced in the valley and invited the others to comment on what they had learned from them. I was not surprised that Mary was the first to speak as she tended to be so engaged and in touch with what was going on. The infighting that, that destroyed the large group we ran into seems to have been caused by a buildup of unhealed spiritual things. These were caused by things as petty as disappointments, but when combined with the frustration of a controlling elitist leadership that the people had been losing trust in, it became toxic and volatile. These were like noxious fumes in the spiritual atmosphere of the whole group. When there was a spark maybe even something seemingly very small, it ignited the night that started the fighting with each other. That is what you concluded or from talking to the wounded and the stragglers, she was asked. Yes, it is. That's the simple, basic answer. Some of the survivors we took in from that group were still inflamed with the conflict and brought their bitterness with them. They tried to affect our people. The attack we experienced on the perimeter seemed to be coordinated with the attempts from within to divide us. We were strong enough this time to survive this, but we were wounded by it, and some of our people will take time to recover. I would like to add that we prevailed against these attacks, at least partly because of Adam's brilliant fighting skills, Charles stated. This young man had been a part of the group that was seeking to sow discord in our camp, but he became one of our greatest defenders. The rest of the group deserted us when the fighting began. That is usually the case with disgruntled people. But I agree that Adam's heart and skills in the battle made up for any damage this group may have caused. He is an inspiration to us, and we owe him our gratitude. I watched Adam shifting uncomfortably as we thanked him for what he did for us in the battle. We asked if he had anything to say. He was shy and seemed to take so much courage for him to speak as it did for the battle, but he gathered himself and he began. First, I want to thank you for taking us in and being willing to let us be a part of your company, he began. I'm sorry for the way we treated you after this kindness, seeking to sow discord and undermine your leadership. It was wrong. 
I can see that we judged your leadership to be like that of the fellowship we had come from. I don't know your leaders very well, but already it seems to me that they are different, and you for as a fellowship are different. Just having a dialogue like this is something we never did, or even considered possible. I'm also sorry that the rest of my friends deserted when the battle began. They may be disgruntled and rebellious, but I did not think that they were cowards, and I'm sorry for it. What made you stay with us and fight? Regardless of whether we agree on everything, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're under attack. It never occurred to me to do anything else but fight with you against it. Adam, we are glad that you were with us. I think I speak for everyone when I say that you are forgiven for any intent of to bring division into our camp, I responded. I, for one, have been guilty of the same thing, and I suspect that most of us here have as well. That is in the past, and now we must focus on our future. We are glad to have you with us. It is likely that those who came with you will contact you, and if they do, please try to persuade them to meet with us. They will not make it through this valley alone. If they could see that they also need us, maybe we can help each other. At this, several of the leadership and several of the observers became noticeably uncomfortable. Then several asked why we would do this, seeing that they were here with evil intent and had this deserted us in the midst of this battle. I understand your concerns, and I do think we will have to be cautious with them. However, which of us has not been disappointed, let down, or hurt by leaders or fellowships that we were a part of in the past? We have gotten over it to join together in this fellowship, who we have found this grace must always be ready to give it to others, I began. But they deserted us as soon as the fight began, Mary protested. They were unreliable. They may have reasons for not trusting leadership, but we have reasons for not trusting them. I do not intend to trust them until they earn our trust, but I think we must also be ready to give those who failed another chance. How many chances has the Lord given each of us? But that is not my only reason for being open to taking them back. Your grace towards those who fail is noble, but it is also maybe misplaced, Mary added. In this case, it seems to not only be unwise, but also dangerous for the rest of the group. What reasons do you have that could be so important as to put our whole group at risk? There is no doubt that risk is involved. But I would never put any of you at risk if I did not think that the risk of not being something could even be greater. Remember how Elijah and Enoch told us that we would need many of the stragglers we pick up in the valley to make it through. Several times in my life, the ones I disliked or distrusted the most became the greatest blessings. I think those deserters could be essential for us. Please bear with me as I explain. Consider the Apostle Peter. He denied the Lord three times. But the Lord never gave up on him. Just a few weeks later, Peter seizes leadership in the day of Pentecost, resulting in thousands of salvations. As the Apostle Paul explained, it is the grace of the Lord that is his strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord also said that those who are forgiven more tend to love more. Are we going to give up on a brother or sister in Christ after one failure? How about two? How about fifty? What is the limit that the Lord gave us? What is the limitation of the power of the cross? 
By the end of this journey, I think we will have had to forgive each other many times. Some will be heroes one day and goats the next, just like Peter was throughout his life. He was commended by the Lord for hearing straight from the Father. And then he was called Satan by Jesus seemingly just a few minutes later. Even so, it was Peter who was given the keys to the kingdom. The Lord never took them away from Peter, even after his many failures. My point is that grace, mercy, and forgiveness is the foundation of our faith. We must not abandon these foundations in this place or any place without disconnecting from the purpose we fight for. After a long, uncomfortable silence, William spoke. You have a point, but I'm still leery of bringing back into our camp those who came in with the intent of bringing division and then deserted us at the first attack when we needed them the most. They are failures that are more serious than others, and, and we must treat that like the toxin that they are. Your concern is justified, I responded. We should remain wary of them and vigilant until they have earned our trust. However, I think our default should be that we will never abandon anyone just because they have a failure or many of them. We must not limit the power of the cross to redeem and save. But neither does this mean that we should trust anyone before they've earned it. If those fellows show sincere repentance, their weaknesses may also become a strength. They could end up having what we need to accomplish our purpose here and to make it to the mountain. Then Adam spoke up. I've been wrong about a lot of things, but I don't think I've realized how wrong I've been about one thing until now. My brother is with those deserters. And I was led to the Lord by one of them. But I was so angry and disappointed at them for deserting us like that, I didn't want to see any of them again. I know now that to be that way is to desert them, and I don't think it is the nature of our Savior to desert people. I agree that they need to earn your trust, but I pray for the grace to never desert anyone that the Lord gave us life for. There was another long silence, and then more discussion followed. It was one of those cases where it would be hard to disagree with any of the comments on either of the positions. Even so, it seemed that a turn had gradually been made, and most now agreed that it was the right thing to do to give the deserters another chance. Finally, William put the consensus into words. To follow the Savior, we need to have forgiveness as our default. This is something we must maintain, but here I see this as a key factor to victory over the spirit that reigns over this valley. We may pay a price for our generosity, but it is the right thing to do. I don't think we should deny anyone the opportunity of another chance. However, that does not mean that we let our guard down with them. That is a simple but honorable policy. We then spent time evaluating how the unhealed wounds were the gate of hell that an enemy had used to attack us and how we had coordinated the attacks from without to explore our growing division in the camp. It was a sobering but needful discussion. Even so, we were all exhausted. So I chose to close the discussion by asking them to bring any additional insights that they had on these things to the next meeting. Then we prayed and went to find a place to sleep. We found a spot, and I hardly remember laying down. My sleep was so deep that it seemed like just a minute later that I woke with a start as William was shaking me. We need to change the guards. I know it's been only two hours, but I think we need to go to two-hour shifts. Everyone is so exhausted, he said. 
I'm good with that. Thank you for thinking of this. What do you need me to do? No, William said, I'll take care of it. Aren't you exhausted too, I asked. I should be, but I'm strangely energized, he replied. I don't think I could sleep if I laid down, so I'll stay up with this next watch, and then I may call on you. In what seemed to be only a few minutes later, William came and shook me again. Sorry, but you need to get up and come with me, he said. What is it? You won't believe it. This is something that you need to handle. When we got in front of the camp, I could see, by the moonlight, a small group of people standing. I could hear Charles talking to them. As I got closer, I could see that the men were the deserters who had returned. As I walked up, Charles explained that they were asking if they could rejoin us, and they had some very important information. Why do you want to rejoin us? I asked. From what we've seen, we know that we cannot make it through this valley alone. Your group seems to be the strongest and most organized that we've met. Why should we trust you after you tried bringing division into our camp and then deserted us when the battle broke out, I countered. You're right, and have every reason not to trust us, another added, seeming a bit surprised that we knew how they had tried to bring division into our camp. After a pause, he continued, We were wrong to do what we did, and we could not blame you for turning us away. We're asking for mercy. Explain to me a little more how this change of heart came about, I replied. We felt guilty after deserting you. After we stopped, we began to talk about it. Then we started to coming across more dead and wounded Christians and saw how the Lord's people were being devastated here. Those who were being picked off were the ones that were alone or adrift in small groups with no leadership or plan. We knew that they were in danger of suffering the same because we had no leadership or plan. We talked about it and felt that our only option was to ask for another chance. So you want to join us to save your own skin, but you don't seem to have considered how, how you might help us, I inquired. You're right, we really have been just thinking of ourselves, but I do think we can be of help. I think we are ready to change. I have been expecting your return, and we have already agreed to give you another chance, I answered, noticing for the first time that Adam was standing next to me. However, we will not tolerate you trying to incite rebellion or discord. We have too great of a threat attacking us from without to have to deal with such attacks from within again. Everyone in the camp knows what you did and will be very wary until you have earned our trust. This is not to punish you or to make you feel uncomfortable, but it is a reality that you'll have to accept. I, for one, can say that I very much want to trust you. I've made mistakes, the same kind of mistakes in the past, and the Lord had mercy on me. I think he wants to have mercy on you as well, but selfishness is the main enemy we are fighting here. You won't make it through this valley by just thinking of yourselves. We will do our best not to cause you any more problems. We want to be helpful. We know we don't deserve this, but we will do all we can to make you glad that you have done this for us. That's appreciated, but again, you can't expect everyone in the camp to be skeptical and watchful of you until you have earned their trust. I don't expect you to be perfect as none of us are, but I think everyone will be especially sensitive to any bad behavior on your part for a while. I know you probably have many reasons not to trust leadership, but to make it through this place and to be an effective part of the force on the mountain, we must have strong, decisive leadership. The leadership may have flaws, but it is the one that the Lord has given us. So if you're willing to follow him, we must also follow them. 
One of the deserters added, Until we saw the devastation we witnessed after leaving you, we probably could not have seen how terrible our rebellion was. But now we do. I think we have all had a revelation that any leadership, even poor leadership, is better than no leadership. We will do our best to be a support to you and not to be a burden. I then instructed that they be shown a place to sleep and that I wanted to meet with them again in the morning before we moved out. I asked some of our leaders to meet with me, that I wanted to shake their hand and welcome them. William and Charles did the same. The group seemed genuinely appreciative to be given another chance. The next morning we rose to a brilliant sky and refreshed people, ready to go. Charles, Adam, and I had been up for about an hour briefing the former deserters about our strategy in our organization. They seemed not only accepting, but enthusiastic about it. I was starting to believe that their repentance had been sincere. I could also see potential leadership in them. It has always amazed me how so many people spend time being against what they are called to be. As the people gathered for the morning briefing, they were obviously surprised to see the deserters, with Charles and Adam and myself. Just as I was beginning my explanation, Adam's brother Michael beat me to it. We want to apologize to all of you for the way we deserted when you needed us, and for the way we tried to sow discord in your camp. We really are sorry for this and realize how wrong this was. We will do our best to never do anything like that again. What brought us to this realization was the grace of the Lord. When we left you, we were started running into many Christians who had been casualties of this place. Those that were so devastated were like us, skeptical of leadership and organization. We soon realized to make it through this valley, we needed the very things that we have been undermining in you and in your previous fellowship. We also realized that if we were going to make it, we needed to swallow our pride and ask you to take us back in. Your leaders graciously accepted us back, with conditions, of course. The whole group seemed good with this and was ready to get moving. I briefly recounted the day's marching orders. I reminded everyone to stay in contact with the main body and for the watchmen to not just look for threats but also targets of opportunity. Then we started down the path. As I moved throughout the group to take their spiritual temperature, I felt that there was a new level of energy and vision. Grace truly is empowering. By midday, we had not encountered any threats or enemy strongholds to attack. Neither had we come across any more stragglers or sojourners. I asked Michael if they had followed the same path that we had found many wounded along. He asserted that they had, and he had no idea where they could have gone as there were so many. I called for a quick counsel with Mary, Jane, Charles, Williams, and Mark. Does anyone have any idea where all the stragglers and wounded that Michael and his group saw along this path last night could have gone? According to them, there were great numbers in all directions. It's also curious that there have been virtually no signs of the enemy anywhere close to us today. This feels wrong. I don't think other groups could have come through here that would have picked them up. We surely would have seen them pass. Is there any way that the enemy could have carried them off? I don't think we can continue on until we find out what happened to them. We agreed and decided to set up camp and set watches. Then we would form scouting parties to go out and search the area to see if we could find the fallen and scattered sojourners. It would not take us long to find them, and it was something that none of us had expected or would have ever wanted to see. Now the real battle would begin.
God bless you guys. Thank you for tuning into this. Thank you for walking with me on this journey. I pray that it's stirring something up in you. I'm excited about the next chapter. We'll bring it to you as soon as we can. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.